0: hello and welcome to let's pod this my name is andy moore and this has been a wild week in civics and politics in america it was election day only four days ago and yet it seems like it has dragged on for months ballots are still being counted in almost every state, honestly. A lot of attention is being paid to just a few swing states, of course, um, but it looks increasingly likely that we may know the outcome of the election, um, maybe not definitively, but a very likely outcome of the election by the end of this weekend, if not sooner. So for this episode, we are taking a break. Um, Scott, Bailey, and I are all trying to rest and you know not doom scroll uh twitter too much and so we're taking a break from the podcast this week and instead we're going to share um a a civic sermon so as as listeners may know you know a few weeks ago we hosted our first civic saturday virtual event um and it was a great success and and this was the sermon i had written on perseverance for that event uh, and we felt it was appropriate post-election to share a message, uh, a note about what it means to keep going, regardless of how you feel about this election and all the number of races that won and lost. It's important to keep going, right? Democracy does not stop on election day. Our society, our, our civic life continues. Our neighbors here in Oklahoma City are still cleaning up from the ice storm. Um, and and we have opportunities to be involved, to help, and to make a difference in the world every day of the week. So, I hope you enjoy this Civic Sermon. We will be hosting more Civic Saturday events uh, coming up soon, and we're also gonna kick off a few other content club uh, events. We'll call them virtual events, right? We're gonna do some some film screenings, we're going to do a book club, we want to find ways to help you get connected in a different and a deeper way with your fellow Oklahomans. And together we can, you know, really build some bridges and build a a better society for everybody. Okay. I'll stop rambling here. And up next is our civic sermon on perseverance. Hello everyone, and thanks for joining us for the Civic Saturday. I started to write this Civic sermon at least a dozen times over the past few weeks. Sometimes with pen and paper, sometimes on my computer, other times just speaking my thoughts aloud to myself in the car while I drove around. But every time, I had the same experience. I hit a wall. I found it hard to focus on writing when there were so many other things in our world that I felt I needed to worry about. There's COVID, obviously, where earlier this week our state surpassed 100,000 cases and saw record-breaking numbers of people hospitalized and in the ICU due to the disease. When we crossed over the 100,000 case mark on Monday, I did some quick arithmetic and I posted the result on Twitter, stating simply, 1 in 37 Oklahomans has been diagnosed with COVID-19. As of today, that tweet has been shared nearly 300 times and liked by more than 600 people however it did nothing to stop the six deaths that were reported that same morning nor the other 50 deaths that have been reported in our state since that time by the time this pandemic is over whenever that is the odds are that we will have all lost someone we know to the disease and wondering who and how many people can be downright crippling Then there's the impending election, which is arguably of larger consequence for the future of our great nation than any other presidential election in two generations. Sure feels that way, at least. You can't escape it. Billion-dollar campaigns are now the new normal, with ad buys designed to permeate every form of media we consume. In the face of unprecedented attacks on voting rights and the electoral process itself, we find ourselves looking for help from the companies that we normally love to hate. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter have all reminded me to register to vote nearly every day for at least the past six weeks. Even Yelp got in on the action, interrupting me with an election reminder while I was trying to look up what time Roxy's ice cream store closed one night. I wanted ice cream and got politics. Maybe that's smart marketing, though. Catching people in their moment of vulnerability. I don't know. The COVID-19 pandemic and the impending election are stress-inducing events for lots of reasons, and it's important to acknowledge that not only have they added stress to our lives, but they have amplified other baseline normal stressors that we all experience every day. Something as simple as going to work or buying groceries now requires additional research, planning, and strategy. Getting food from a restaurant, buying toilet paper, going for a run, voting, it's all different now. We find ourselves cut off from our friends and family, restricted to open-air hangouts at the end of the driveway, nervously wondering if our children are asymptomatic carriers and fearing that they're going to infect their grandparents. Hugs, which were once relished by my family, like chocolate icing on a big slice of yellow cake, are off the menu entirely. How do we carry on when everything feels so bizarre, so distant, so uncertain? While the circumstances have changed, the associated feelings are not new to most Oklahomans. Amongst our American brethren, we are uniquely accustomed to the sudden and complete interruption of life. Many of us know someone, or several someones, who have had their trees and lives uprooted by a tornado, I vividly remember my friend John tweeting that he had just watched his house and more get blown away on the news on a television while he was in the hospital where he sat with his newborn child in the NICU. Or my friend Amy, who sat across the desk from her coworker at 9.01 a.m. on April 19th, 1995. A moment later, the wall and the floor and her colleague were all gone. This year was supposed to be the 20th annual Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon, but like everything else, the event was forced to become virtual. Registrants received boxes in the mail with shirts and blankets and medals, along with instructions to run their selected race sometime in the two weeks between October 4th and tomorrow, October 18th. I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot, I mean, a lot of marathons out there. But the oklahoma city memorial marathon is different from all the rest it was the first half marathon i attempted when i started running back in 2014 and this year will be my sixth time to run the race once i actually run it i mean because as i mentioned earlier i don't know about you but lately i'm having a hard time finding the motivation to keep going i don't know what i'm waiting for exactly but I do think it seems appropriate for us to talk about perseverance today. Now, regardless of how you feel about running, we can all admit that it does provide a wonderful analogy for just about everything in life. And while sports drinks and fancy stretchy clothing may have renewed our collective interest in running for exercise and sport, running has been a part of human existence since well, forever, really. In fact, scientists believe that one of the things that helped humans rise to the top of the evolutionary food chain is our ability to run long distances and simply wear out our prey and other predators. Humans, it seems, were built to just keep going. And perhaps that's why running has been used as an analog for getting through life for thousands of years. You can even find running analogies in the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote letters to the church at Corinth and his friend Timothy that include phrases like, running to win and finishing the race, which is honestly somewhat ironic because history records Paul as being not just blind and bald, but also bow-legged, an affliction that would have made running unduly difficult for him. Perhaps that's the reason why running analogies resonated with him so strongly. He knew quite intimately how hard it was to simply keep going. I took up running when I was in my early 30s, after the birth of my first child. I was pretty clearly running from some sort of existential dread in my attempt to avoid or at least postpone or slow down the inevitable aging and weakening of the human body that befalls us all. When I started running, I learned a lot about myself, about other people and about how we all interact and flow together as one community. When you run through the streets of your town, you see and feel all the cracks, all the bumps, all the glistening lawns and empty lots, the formidable mansions and the homeless shelters, the exhaust of our cars and the exhaustion of our resources, the children at the park, and the dirty needles in the gutter just outside. Obviously I'm not here to talk about running. I'm here to talk about stuff. That's way harder than running I'm talking about community level change, making a difference in the lives of our neighbors and why it's so dang important that even when it gets hard, you keep going. So to do that, I'm going to share with you the three most important lessons I've learned from running. It's easy starting out, just make it to the next block and never waste a downhill. So lesson one, it's easy starting out. This one seems obvious. All you have to do is find a place to run, lean forward a little bit, put one foot in front of the other and let gravity do the rest. It feels natural, right? After just a few steps, you begin to build up some momentum and feel the breeze in your face. And Wow, look at you. You're doing it. You are running. I love the beginning of a race, especially big ones like marathons. Thousands of people join together with a common purpose. It's dark outside, the music is thumping, and the air is absolutely electric. There's a collective sense of, we're going to do this. We're going to run, and we're going to finish, and it's going to feel great. Look at how awesome we are. And then, as you stand there, in that corral, as they call it, you may begin to look around at the other runners, sizing them up, trying to decide which ones you know look like real runners, which ones you think you can beat, trying to make yourself feel better and justify your presence there by devaluing others. Look at them. What do they know about running? Look at those shoes. Look at that old guy. Is that a fanny pack? Ugh. Folks, I'm here to tell you, don't give in to those thoughts. Viewing your neighbors as competitors rather than your teammates is a surefire way to suck the joy out of the experience. Because once you start running, you'll soon realize that what you thought was a solo exercise is really a group project. The more you try to look out for yourself, the more likely you will collide with someone else, particularly if they too are only looking out for themselves. Like so much of life, Running a marathon is a community effort. The road is long and if we're going to get there, we must realize that we're all in this together and therefore need to look out for one another, encourage one another, and try not to get in each other's way. Lesson two, just make it to the next block. Before long, you notice that the crowd around you is thinning. Some people are still cruising along, but others are breaking to walk or stand and stretch and catch their breath. You begin to question yourself and what you're doing. Doubt creeps in. Should I walk? Why did I start down this road in the first place? What if I can't finish? Do I even want to finish anymore? Is there a way for me to quit so that no one will even notice? In any race, there are a million points along the way where you may feel like giving up. I get it. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It feels lonely. It makes you hurt. Caring about something and sticking with it to the end requires incredible stamina and grit. And while things were easy starting out when everyone was there together, now you look around and may not recognize the people around you. The rallying music has faded and the finish line still feels impossibly far away. So you pull over to the side, step out of the flow, and disconnect a bit from that community around you. Now, please hear me that it is totally okay to take a break if you need it. There's absolutely no shame in that. But I found that if you tell yourself, just make it to the next block before you stop, often you'll end up going two or three more blocks as well. Sometimes just giving yourself permission to stop provides enough relief that you don't actually need to stop at all. You're doing the best you can, and you can make it to the next block. Lesson three, never waste a downhill. Every race has hills. Some are well-known and highly anticipated, like Gorilla Hill in the Oklahoma City Marathon, where local residents of a big yellow house along the route Rent a 30-foot inflatable gorilla, volunteers dress up as gorillas and bananas, and they hand out bananas to runners. Other hills are smaller, less flashy. Some hills are low and long, like the rolling highways of western Oklahoma. Regardless of the size of the hill, I'm always thankful to reach the top. It feels like an accomplishment, something to be celebrated, and too often a permission has just stopped trying. After all, what goes up must come down, and what better time to walk than when gravity is just pulling you along? One of my former running buddies has a habit of shouting, never waste a downhill, whenever we'd reach a peak. She recognized that our natural inclination is to put in less effort when the road gets easier, which is silly, of course. It's That kind of complacency is exactly how the hare lost to the tortoise in Aesop's classic fable. When we see that things may be easier ahead, we should press on even harder. The wind is at our back when we can accomplish more than we might otherwise. We should take that time to call to the others around us, rallying them to the cause, and not let that downhill go to waste. We must keep going. Now, one more thing before I bring Chris back up to sing us out with a song. If you'll permit me, I'd like to add one more lesson that I learned from running. I wasn't really planning to share this, but as we've gone along today, I think it's fitting for where we're at as a country and as a community. On April 30th, 2017, I was running the Oklahoma City Memorial Half Marathon, per usual, and I was just not into it at all. I had not really trained for it. It was rainy and humid. I was grumpy about the whole deal. I was running by myself, and I felt disconnected from the event and the people around me. And as I was about five miles in, coming down 23rd Street under the highway and started up the hill towards McDonald's, I ran into my friend Addie. Addie is a gifted yoga instructor and a talented writer, and I recently learned when she was younger, Addie was an aspiring advocate who wanted to free the dolphins. As luck would have it, Addie is also a runner. Not a runner like me, she is a legit ultra-marathoner. 50 milers, 100 milers, this girl can get after it. Anyway, There I was, wallowing in my own self-loathing about my poor performance in this race, when I see Addie stopped in the middle of the road, on a hill, trying to hold still the wheelchair that she was pushing while she stretched a rainfly over the little girl who sat in the chair. I helped get them situated, and then we continued along the course, laughing and talking as we jogged. After a couple of miles, Addie paused and very graciously said, Andy, you don't have to stay with us. We'll just slow you down. Little did she know, they were the only things keeping me going. I had never run with a rider before. I saw people in chairs, during races, but I knew nothing about them aside from that very passive awareness. I assumed whoever was pushing them was a friend or a relative, but in this case, I learned that Addie had simply volunteered, and by sheer luck of the draw, she was paired up with Mariella. From the moment I started running next to Mariella, I disappeared from public view. Now, there were still runners streaming past us on all sides, and literally everyone offered words of genuine encouragement. Good job. You're doing great. Keep it up. All of it directed squarely at Mariella, who, I must admit, soaked it up with a smile from ear to ear. Thank you, she'd call back after each one. We didn't run the whole way. We walked, and when we did run, we were pretty slow. It's hard enough to push your own body down the street for 13 miles. An additional 70 pounds of chair and rider make it that much more difficult. My finishing time ended up being a full 30 minutes slower than the year prior, but I didn't care. When we were about a mile from the the finish line, Addie leaned over to tell me that Mariella's family... Would be waiting for us near the finish line with her walker and we were going to get her out of the chair so she could cross the finish line herself and so we did my entire perspective on running changed that day i had been focused on getting to the finish line and doing it for me and if that's where you're at because that's where you need to be that's fine you got to be present for yourself I get that. I affirm that. You do you. But hear me out first. What if you also show up for the folks around you? America has this weird thing about rugged individualism and bootstraps and blazing your own trail and all this. We're like a teenager who thinks they can make it in the world on their own without any help from anyone because we got a car and a job making sandwiches at Subway and too often we the collective we the societal we fail to appreciate or even acknowledge the relationships and the reciprocity that we have with other nations with other states with other cities and with the people who live in the neighborhood across the highway or in the house right next door what if we acted like we're all running side by side what if it wasn't a race but rather Just a fun run with friends. What if your neighbor needed you to push them? What if you need them to push you?